Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining me today on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun today with a lot of positive messages and stories coming your way. Thanks to two great guests that I'm excited to have back with me again this morning. First up, I'll get a return visit from former NHL star and multi, multiple-time winner out on the Celebrity Tour and a guy who's looped for players like Ernie Ailes and Yaus Lauten. Yas Luton, and that's uh, that's Dan Quinn, and he's going to be here. I'm very excited to have Dan back on the show with me again this morning. We'll look ahead to the Masters with Dan. I'll talk to him about his memories of being on the bag there with Ernie Els, and uh, we'll get his memories of Arnold Palmer, plus some of his favorite places to, to play golf and uh, all that and a whole bunch more when Dan joins me here in just a few minutes. Following Dan, I'll get a return visit from Top 50 LPGA instructor Debbie O'Connell. Debbie is the founder of Golf Positive and GolfPositive.com. We'll get some lessons from her about, you know, focusing on the positive, both the, both on the course and in our lives. We'll we'll talk about ways of dealing with pressure shots and the positive talk that we need to help, you know, have with ourselves when we're faced with a pressure situation. Kind of like, you know, looking at a shot over water, right? or a, a shot that lands in the bunker, or a four-footer uh, four to beat our buddies. Debbie always makes me smile so much that my cheeks hurt during our segment, so I really look forward to having her back on the show with me a little bit later on in this half hour. So it's going to be an informative show this morning. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. Next on the Tea is sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year. Our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to check out FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place that it is and to book your stay. And speaking of great, if you joined me a few weeks ago, you heard about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back on Black Friday to one of the sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show in January. Bradley Converse, the owner of Bradley Putters, joined me last month, and we're proud to be partnering with Bradley to help promote their unique line of outstanding putters made from burl wood. And these aren't ornamental putters, folks. People are raving about not only the look, but the feel that they get when they use their Bradley putter. So I'm very excited, looking forward to getting mine. They're custom-made based on the shape and the colors that you like. So go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters really is. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Bobby Jones Company. Folks, it's time to change things up. The uh, Bobby Jones Spring Collection is here with fresh colors and new uh, new additions that have genuine endearing character from new polo style shirts to long sleeve button down shirts to tech shorts that are ready to hit the links or any other warm weather outing that you may have the bobby jones brand will keep you feeling great and looking great either on the golf course or in the office and when you place your order enter the promo code next on the t to get 10 percent off so you can freshen up your wardrobe from an iconic brand save a little money too Go to bobbyjones.com and again, enter next on the T as your promo code and freshen up your look for spring. 
Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, and that's Mr. Jesse Ortiz. Like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, Jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and innovative designs to work creating great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check it out online by going to bobbyjonesclubs.com. And every week here on Next on the Tee, we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women that are serving in every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We want to thank all of you for the daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties. We also want to thank our veterans out there for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It's through your collective strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. Folks, please, if you see a member of our military when you're out and about in your daily life, wherever you might be, grocery store, restaurant, airport, please stop for a moment and tell those folks thank you. Our military, those guys and gals are our true heroes. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's such an honor that Next on the T is a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dan Quinn. Let me remind you about Dan's background. He's from Ottawa, Ontario, grew up in Brookville, Ontario. He played in the NHL for 14 seasons for the Flames, Penguins, Canucks, Blues, Flyers, North Stars, Senators, and Kings. He was the co-winner of the Penguins Player of the Year Award in 1986-87, and that award is voted on by the players and given to the player who exemplifies leadership for a team both on and off the ice and who is dedicated to teamwork. Over the course of Dan's hockey career, he scored 266 goals, had 419 assists, totaling 685 points, and that in just 805 games. In golf, he has been one of the top players on the Celebrity Tour. He's competed at the American Century Classic for many years. He won it five times, finished in the top 10 18 times. He's caddied for several players on tour, including John Daly at the 2000 U.S. Open, as well as Ernie Els and Yas Lauten. I'm excited that Dan is back with me again here on Next on the Tee, because it's always such a great time and such great stories when we get an opportunity to speak with Dan. Hey, Dan, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks for having me. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. How have you been, my friend? I've been good. Been good down here in South Florida, just uh, <clears throat> raising my three kids, but uh, and playing a little golf. Not not as much as I'd like, but uh, everything's pretty good. Getting ready to, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, to Las Vegas tomorrow to participate in the Wayne Gretzky Fantasy Camp. His fifteenth year of doing it, and it's the last year he's having it. So I'm uh, I'm very honored to be asked, and, and I'm very excited. It's kind of nervous too. I got to get hopefully still have some wheels under under this body. <laughs> And then you know you talk about not not maybe getting to play as much golf as you like, but I, I see congratulations are in order. You and your your ten year old son Jack won a parent child tournament not long ago. Wow, thanks for noticing that. Yeah, we uh, that was his first tournament. Um, it's uh, it was a true alternate shot uh, type thing, and and uh, so we entered in uh, the ten to twelve age group, and and we were lucky enough to not have too many mistakes out there. But it was fun. It was really fun to get him kind of get a, get the bug of the game and the love of the game and, and through, through a, a really well-organized tournament that they've had down at uh, Atlantis Golf Club, Country Club here in uh, south of West Palm Beach. They've had it for about 60 years, the the father-son, and then they have this parent-child, which is any you know, younger kids as well as daughters with their fathers or grandfathers or whatever. So it's it's a great event. It's uh, usually uh, just the second or third day after uh, 
every 26, 7, 8, 9 of December they've had it. It's So anyways, it was a lot of fun, and thanks for mentioning that. Absolutely. And then as I was kind of going through your Twitter feed, it kind of made me chuckle. How many times after the Super Bowl did someone tweet you thinking you were the Atlanta Falcons head coach? There was a few. <laughs> I, just, I have, like, not the best Twitter usage, but, uh, you know, I like to follow a lot of stuff, including your handle and all that stuff. But uh, I did get about, I don't know, 20, 25 that were pretty angry with my uh, play calling. <laughs> and I was like, well, you got the wrong guy here. <laughs> so, Dan, as you know, as we get to, you know, mid-March, all, all eyes, you know, around the golf board start to start to head to Augusta National and the Masters. 2010, you caddied for Ernie Els there. And, and I read that the invitation to you from Ernie sort of came out of the blue. Do you mind uh, sharing the story, how he invited you to uh, – to be on the bag for the 2010 Masters? Well, that actually was a little more of a, it was a planned um, schedule. At, at the end of 09, when I first caddied for Ernie, I did two events over in Asia, and we came second in a World Golf Championship event there, the HSBC, which led to the opportunity, which was the first year I sort of considered it as an, uh, you know, a profession. At the time, Ernie was top 10 in the world, and it was a it was a great opportunity I couldn't pass up to do half a schedule. So after starting the year in Hawaii, we made a schedule that included two. Uh, I was still participating in, in Tahoe at the time as well, so I was cognizant of trying to create a schedule around that as well as what would be best for him. So he kept uh, his original plan of his uh, original caddy named Ricky Roberts, who and, and he had gotten um, he was going to do the U.S. and the British Open, and I was going to do the Masters and um, PGA. And uh, the only thing that that you're probably alluding to that complicated it was after I handed uh, Ernie off after six or seven weeks on the West Coast and then back here to the Honda. Um, he and Ricky won two in a row. They won at Bay Hill and they won it uh, at the old Doral tournament. So, uh, but he still, he kept with the schedule and uh, which was for me to do uh, Hilton Head, sorry, um, um, do the uh, Masters and then the Players Championship until and then Ricky took back over for the summer. But uh, it was a great great experience. I've I've always been, as you mentioned, uh, a huge golf fan since I was a bl- little boy. And, and the Masters is just one of those those events that sort of transcends uh, sports. It's more of a sporting event with, versus a golf tournament. And and so to be inside the ropes that one time was great. We finished uh, tied for 18th um, and played pretty good. So it was it was a not we could have done a lot better at the time. Ernie was a, he was one of the top players in the world. So. Um, we'd sort of gone in there with some pretty high expectations, but for some reason that, that tournament keeps keeps eluding him or has eluded him over his career. Did you get uh, an opportunity to uh, drive with Ernie down Magnolia Lane? Yeah, I stayed at, uh, I rode with him almost every day. So we uh, we went down. Uh, they treat the, the caddies very well there. So there was a there's a great um, this new the new driving range that they have all set up that you'll see when they do the drive chip and putt. If you follow that stuff, they show a lot of that. And there's a great lounge for the caddies, and, and we get to come in the exact same way the players do. So when I did drive, um, I did I went right down the Magnolia Lane as well. And when I didn't, I, I went with Ernie. Was you know you go right right down, make a right park, and hop out and go right to the range. So it was pretty cool. It was a really nice experience. And as I said, it was just there's nothing you can say that they don't do right there. And to that to that point, Dan, you know we we all know you know how well they treat the players and the patron experience there. Is fantastic. What is it like to be a caddy at Augusta National? Well, you know, they, like I said, you go in, you got to wear those those white jumpsuits, so that's a diff- yep. that's sort of a uh, different look that you know, not a lot of us were 
used to. But the weather, I got lucky. The weather was great that week. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Didn't have to use the umbrella. So uh, that particular year, um, I think Mickelson won it with that great shot out of the on 13 out of the uh, pine straw, if you recall. But um, right, you know. The, the, but to your point, the patrons, they're they're and they're, what would we call them? The patrons as a traditional term for the for the fans at the Masters, but uh, they were great. The uh, the Augusta National members were terrific. Um, so from the minute you get there, whether out the, at the lot players when they go in the locker room to the caddies when we go to, to the caddy lounge, uh, we were just treated spectacularly. Um, I would get out early and walk a little, walk a few holes before anyone would get there. And, and you, know, you had to wear your, your bib when you did that. So you get a lot of looks when you're walking through the gallery with the people before you before you met your player. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, they, they don't, there's not too many things that you would say they don't do right there. And you talk about, you know, the white jumpsuits or the bib. You know, I've always wondered, are, are those things comfortable? If you get the right one, yeah. And then you just, you get to where if it's not too hot, you just put a sort of pair of like a, a workout pair of shorts underneath and a T-shirt. And some guys go without the T-shirt. But they wash them every night. And, uh, you know, once you get yours, it's yours for the week. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's not bad. I didn't mind it. At first, you used to wearing shorts and just a golf shirt with a bib when you're in a normal tournament. But up there, you get the whole thing. So it's 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 a unique experience. <laughs> And then, you know, one thing that, you know, TV doesn't do justice to are the elevation changes from hole to hole at Augusta National. What's it like trekking a 30, 40 pound golf bag around that course for six or seven days? Well, as you're very, if you've been there, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think, I always think to say the two things that don't, TV doesn't show is obviously the elevation nor, you know, the colors are even that more, you know, vivid when you're there in person. You know, the green is the greenest green you've ever seen. The, you know, the flowers are the prettiest purples and, and whatnot that you've ever, yellows and, and different colors of the of everything is just spectacular there. Um, but to your point, there is so many hills um, and steep, long, like walking up that eighth hole from the tee to the green is just a nonstop, you know, trek. And uh, there's a few that you don't see either, like when you go down off of uh, four back up to the green, and then you go down from six tee up to its green. I mean, there's a lot of little sneaky hills that people don't see on the on the on the uh, TV, especially, and then the, the most severe one being 18. I mean, when you start up 18 and then get to the middle of fairway, you still got 200 yards to go right up that hill. So it's uh, it's uh, just a special piece of land. And uh, as I always say about caddy and Chris, is that I always said the bag's only heavy when your player's over par. So <laughs> it was lucky. <laughs> luckily we had a luckily we had a good week, so it wasn't that bad. And then, you know, one of the famous things about Augusta National are the greens. Talk talk about how did you go in there, you know, learn, you know, to learn the green? Does Ernie ask for help reading the green? And if so, how did you learn the subtleties of the Augusta National's greens? Well, you know, Ernie been there and played there uh, numerous times and for many years. So he had, you know, tremendous familiarity with it, obviously. And um, so we, I went in with, I went up there earlier with him, um, with Charles Schwartzel, but uh, the week before Houston, actually, and we went up there on a Tuesday, and and he had uh, I kind of what we ended up doing, which they've done, I, I'm sure they've they've grown on because if you see now, there's a big uh, big pull towards the caddies and the players using these very science GPS uh, made um, greens books. But at the time, what we did on that are the books that we have, and I still have the artist book that we made. Uh, I found exactly where Ray's Creek was on the on the golf course in relation to each and every hole, and, and sort of drew a line right through the middle of the green. So. For example, from the back of right the first green to sort of the front left of the first green, that that is the way that everything kind of is going to naturally tug towards Race Creek. And there's a little bit of grain on those greens. They're the, they're the most beautiful surfaces you've ever seen. But um, 
there's certainly a a lot of you know you got to be very creative as to where you hit shots you, you know the get you know hitting it long on 13 you don't realize it until you know the speed of that green coming from back to front is incredible um and so that's what we did it i'm sure now there's a lot more i i know there's more uh, of an in-depth approach but at that point i had a book that i did for ernie and it was right spot specific with the with a uh, compass as to exactly where um race creek was and, and, and it sort of was a good guideline for him to use while he was looking at the book and it was a good guideline for me to use and sort of get a feel for <clears throat> and that's that's what that's what we had then um, and as i said i know that they have these gps and incredible abilities to make these incredible yard, uh, yardage books as well as greens books that that i'm sure is is even makes ours look a little archaic and Dan, you know, the, the folks at Augusta National are pretty particular about conducts and, you know, do's and don'ts. Did you get any advice about what not to do when you went there? Like I said, they weren't, it wasn't, you know, they never made you feel like that. You know, it was, it was never, uh, it just made you feel like a, you were a big part of the event and you're a big part of your, your player and his team. And, um, so no, I don't remember, I don't recall anything other than, um, you know, we're professional caddies and, and we didn't really have anything to was don't do this or don't do that said to us. Um, but just here's, here's sort of the, the, you get, before you got there, you got a sort of a, a rule sheet that, that they wanted you to sort of adhere by as to where you parked, what your, you know, dress, you know, your attire needed to be while you're on the course. You know, you couldn't go on the course as a, like the Thursday morning, if I walked the course early, I couldn't go on the course without my bib on. So that was, those are the only things they sort of, or the jumpsuit on. So those are the only things that they sort of, have, you know, let you know that that was the tradition there. Did uh, you get an opportunity to play the course? I did not, not that year, no. no. Wow. Okay. So uh, one last question of the master, we'll move on. Um, Ernie struggled there pretty hard on the first hole last year. You know, he six putted the first green. Five of those putts were inside of two feet. He ended up taking taking nine. Have you talked to Ernie about what happened? Not only about the struggle on that hole, but then also how you collect yourself, you know, and move on and play, and play from there. Um, yeah, you know, we we still. I actually did three events for him in the fall last year. I went over to Malaysia with him, and, and then I did uh, Las Vegas and, and the Mexico tournament at the end of the year. So yeah, we went over a lot of this stuff. I played a lot of golf with him last summer, um, and, and uh, subsequent and after the Masters. And, you know, really it was, um, you know, there's, there's two parts to the question, the, what happened and, and then how did he deal with it? One, now he's top 10 on the PJ tour, if you can believe it, and, and, you know, six feet and in. So he's really putted well. He went to a cross-handed, he went to a Seymour putter and he just sort of fixed it. And it was a little bit of combination on that first hole of nerves and, and his technique was poor. So there was, um, you know, he just went, just went and reinvented everything and went, like I said, left hand low and, and so on and so forth. As far as that particular day, you know, he had went on the second hole, he hit it on in two, and then he actually three putted. So it was, you know, a seven putt, a three putt, and then he sort of settled down. And, and, uh, I just remember sending him a text and, and the way I looked at it, um, you know, get up on that Friday morning and go look everybody right in the eye and go play a good round of golf. And, and, and that's it. Don't let anybody want, don't, you don't want anybody to feel sorry for you. And you just gotta, you gotta either, you gotta either suck it up or, or, you know, kind of let old theory get back up on the bike and ride again and, and see what happens. And, uh, so I, I know he's, his long game is, uh, everybody asked me how he's not putting. I, well, he's actually putting very well. His long game is not where it used to be. And, and hence, you know, he hasn't had the best couple of years right now. But uh, he works as hard as anybody, and, and he still loves the game. So I would expect, uh, you know, I know he's probably just disappointed. He just missed a, he's missed a couple of cuts here in a row now on the tour. But uh, I know he's got Augusta, and majors are, you know, a big part of his his focus every year now. 
And then I saw on your Twitter feed uh, that you, you caught a lift with Ernie to go see the service uh, for Arnold Palmer. What was that like? That was special. It was a it was a really really um, you know it was a incredible honor. I was just sitting with Ernie, but I think the service was a Thursday, and uh, and he said it was. I was with him. I played golf on Tuesday, and he says, "Listen, we're going to go up Thursday. You want to go with?" I said, "Absolutely." So we went up and back and put a, had a couple people on the airplane. Um, but the service, you know, and, and my most memorable thing, I mean, there's a lot of things that you choke back tears, but there was a couple of great speeches, but none better than Sam, you know, Sam Saunders, if you've ever met him or had him on the show, he's just a true young gentleman and, uh, with tremendous amount of pressure being Arnie's grandson, but he's just a great kid. And, and his speech, uh, was spectacular. So obviously, you know, I'm from, I played and called Pittsburgh home for 15 years and, and, uh, my further my love of golf from uh, in western pennsylvania which is where mr palmer was from so it was a really cool day I know, i've met mr palmer don't did never really knew him but uh and kind of to be honest his his career was a little before you know i was sort of a nicholas guy in the 70s when i was 10 12 years old taking up golf and and so that was uh you know you knew about mr palmer but i never really saw him play or what in his prime but uh He's just, uh, he, he got the, he got the service that he deserved because there's very few. It's been a strange year, wasn't it? You know, with Muhammad Ali and Arnold Palmer and Gordie Howe, like a lot of true, true legends and ambassadors for their, not only their game, but all of sports were all gone last year. So it was, uh, it was just a thrill and an honor to be there and, uh, and obviously a nice treat for Ernie to give me a lift up on the plane. And then, you know, as we talk, you talk about being a caddy and all the things, you know, that uh, that go with being a caddy out on tour. I don't think people have a complete understanding of really what it's like. Can you take us through what a typical day in the life of a caddy is like, you know, the, the Monday through Wednesday as you go through the practice rounds and pro-ams and that sort of thing, and then uh, what it's like during the tournament? Um, yeah, I mean, like you say, there's, there's guys that have done this for a long time. So, the, the you know, the whole thing of a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you see the guys that are doing well. Obviously, like Dustin Johnson's brothers made a fortune this first couple of year, first couple of months of the year. There's very few jobs out, you know, in the world that are like that. But uh, you know, there's another a lot of other guys that are caddying for the guys that are like 70th to 200th on the money list. Where each week's, uh, you know, um, a lot of them it's it's a gypsy and a nomadic lifestyle. You know, you're going from 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 city to city and you're trying to get rented cars and get the best hotels you can for the most affordable price. And a lot of guys have. Um, you know, they double up with each other. So there's a, there's a lot of non-glamorous things. Let's put it that way that, that you really wouldn't envision that a, a PJ tour caddy has, uh, a lot of the clubs through the, the PJ tour caddies, um, pushing or the love terms, I should say, are starting to improve the conditions similar to what Augusta does, um, with regards to, you know, the food and the tents and uh, a place for the, for them to hang out and, and do that stuff. But as far as getting the, the, every week was different. I mean, if you were familiar with the golf course, obviously, and, and so I'll give you two different examples with, with an Ernie Els, if you caddy for him, he's going to be in the pro-am on the Wednesday, probably only play nine holes on a Tuesday, if at all. But you, you really got to see the course in the pro-am. So you didn't have to do as much as a guy that would not be in the pro-am. So that, therefore you'd have to play, do a lot of work on the Monday, Tuesday, because you couldn't get on the course on the Wednesday. And so there's a two different schools of thought on, on how much or how little uh, you need to do or not do. And, and, um, for the most part, you want to make sure everything in your yardage book you were you'd already kind of gone over and you knew where certain bunkers were to carry and, and the line of sight that your player was going to probably choose uh, carries force carries over water and so on and so forth. But uh, for me, it was always I just I really used the pro am as a uh, as a really big opportunity to watch not only Ernie putt and see how balls rolled, but then you know, as well as Zamater. So you got to see you know four or five putts every green and kind of get a good feel for the golf course and how how the how the 
certain tendencies might be as far as the ball breaking and so on and so forth. Now, a major, there's no pro-ams, so you, know, you did a lot more work. You, know, you do a lot more practice holes. You know, I, I caddied for Ernie in 2013, I believe, at Marion, and we came fourth. And, uh, and then I did another kid named Cameron Smith and came fourth at Chambers Bay. And each of those uh, weeks, we had the exact same itinerary. We get up on a Saturday morning prior to the U.S. Open, uh, walked the course with just putters and wedges, uh, played nine, never played 18 one day. Played nine on uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then played. Uh, and probably most most don't think Cameron Smith played a hole on the Wednesday. We didn't play even. We just practiced and stayed fresh and got ready to go because we were first off on the Thursday. I think Ernie, we played a few right up to three o'clock where they closed the first tee on on the Wednesday. But it was uh, you know it was it was getting your work in and for the players staying fresh as well because once you get in, especially in those golf courses like a U.S. Open is set up for, it's a lot of work. It's a long walk and it's slow pace of play and a lot of grinding so if you've done too much monday tuesday wednesday you're probably not going to be fresh on thursday and i think you know last i'm kind of getting long-winded on your on your question but the one thing that i've noticed um there's a lot of a lot of the guys now from jason day to rory mcelroy um and, and, and others that have uh kind of gone with the same program that they're doing at the majors where and it, and it, start, it seems to be like they're getting more consistent results as a result. So I hope to see, I think you'll see Dustin Johnson be tough to beat at Augusta this year. Um, I was with Wayne after he won LA and went to number one in the world. Uh, Wayne Gretzky that week, we went to the Panthers and Oilers game down here and he told me, I said, you guys have a big night after he won in LA. He goes, actually, he went to did spin, spin class at eight o'clock the next morning. So his focus is like it's never been. Uh, I don't know if it's parenthood or whatever, but he's going to be certainly tough to beat and I'm certainly going to take him in my pools. And then as you talk about, you know, being with Ernie when, when he's coming, you know, fourth, you know, when, when you're right in the thick of things, when your player's right in the thick of things, you know, particularly as you get to the, to the final round, last few holes, how do you keep your emotions in check and not let, you know, him see what's, you know, going through your mind or how you feel if he misses a putt or makes a putt? How do you keep it all, you know, pretty flatlined? I think you just got to be to the point, you know, you don't want to, you want to, we, in between shots, you want to just keep talking like it's a normal, like you did, you know, Thursday on the between 13 and 14th hole. Uh, with that particular year, it was your Justin Rose one, and we actually Ernie got on a little bit of a roll on the back nine, um, part some really hard holes, and then he birdied the 15th. And then uh, that's when I sort of thought if we could sneak one more in, maybe two, uh, even though the the last three holes weren't hard, were very difficult. That you know we might have a shot of posting a score because the scores were coming back to the field. And uh, so he makes just some incredible birdie on the 15th hole, I remember, and then he hits two perfect shots on the 16th hole to about 10 feet and then hit a nice putt, and it didn't go in. Um, and then he hit the best shot of the week uh, by anybody. The 17th hole was a left-to-right 235-yard shot, and he hit this four-iron to a foot, and the place went nuts. And, and so there was that birdie. That, so now you got to play 18 thinking, well, we got to make a birdie posted, and we got a chance maybe getting a playoff. And he ended up bogeying it, but uh, we just, you know, had a good feeling. We had a guy enjoyed the heck out of it. He played, he played hard and and played very well. And just we just had a, you know, maybe a couple holes where you know we, I think we finished three out of the lead, three out of what it ended up winning. So, but that was for me. I just, I that's what I'd rather be in that position than the guy that's trying to finish fifty fifth. You know, it's just it's a lot more fun when you're focused and you're hunting and you're trying to win or trying to get a really good top respectable finish. So that's uh, I, I loved it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And Dan, is, is is one of the sort of the caddy rules or unwritten rules to to never say anything negative or put a negative, you know, thought in your player's head, like you know, hey, don't hit it left here, or you know, anything along those lines that can that could uh, put a negative thought in your player's mind. 
Yeah, you never do. I mean, you you get that a lot when you go to country clubs or resorts. Yeah, don't hit it, don't hit it there, don't hit it there. That's not what you do. You're you're more, you know, tour pros just want to know where do I hit it. You know, give me a good target. Um, you know, just and and they they know it. It's just a more of case they've you just sort of give it to them so they keep their focus uh, very simple and straightforward and always positive, seeing seeing good shots. Make sure that they don't have uh, any doubt when they get in over a shot and. Uh, yeah, I always say the best players are usually a, are great caddies as well. So they're they've done all their information, they're ready to go. And, and hopefully, if you're seeing the same thing they're seeing, then you're just reinforcing it and uh, giving them a positive visual, you know, prior to hitting the shot. Especially when you're putting, you know, putting. I always find I get mad at myself if I give them a wishy-washy read, kind of like it might go left or right. You know, that's that's not you can't do that to a tour pro. You kind of get you know you got to give them. I see the ball on the left nice and positive, you know, kind of thing. And if, if you get a little wishy-washy with that, they're going to not, they'll stop asking you. <laughs> Dan, just a couple more before we let you go. Uh, I saw that uh, you retweeted a picture of uh, Shinnecock Hills, said it's uh, your favorite uh, favorite in the world by far. Why? You know, I've, I've been lucky enough to play it numerous times. I think the first time was in 1997. Um, I've got a great friend that's a member there, and he's always, I, I've, I used to go up there every summer and, and uh, to tell you the truth, Chris, there's not a there's not a thing on it you won't like. It's a great walk. You stand on the first tee and you can see you're looking out at Peconic Bay, um, and and it's it's just one hole after another. It's a U.S. Open great championship course, but you know it's very you, you can play it and it's not going to kill you. And um, it's just a mix of links and it's it's there's no they've cleaned out all the trees, the fescue, the look of it, and you know the quality of the holes are just spectacular. I think the U.S. Open is going back there in 2018, so it's. It's always a, it's sort of like a bar conversation, as you say, but that's, if somebody said I had five days to live, I'd like to play there for them. I mean, it's just one of those places that I just fell in love with. Dan, I can't let you go without getting your thoughts on the, on the Penguins this year. Do you think they can repeat? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, I was just with, uh, um, played with the, the former head pro of Oakmont on Tuesday, Bob Ford. He's now the head pro at Seminole. He's a big fa- Penguin fan and an old from back when I did. I don't know if you remember Bob Pompiani at all, but Bob's on with KDK. Absolutely. And a lot of, yeah. We played on Tuesday and we were talking, and, and I think what you'll find, I know they were trying to maybe sh- uh, trade Flurry, uh, but I think having two goalies that have won Stanley Cups you know, in your locker room is going to, you know, always, one of them will get hot, you know, and, and it's going to be a big thing that they didn't trade him. I think, you know, they They've made, managed this year. He's played well at the start of the year when when Murray was hurt. But if they get the goaltending, I, I just don't see them being beat. You know, there's going to be a tough, tough road to get out of the, the Eastern Conference with Washington and Columbus and and uh, you know maybe Ottawa. But I think you'll see um, you'll see Pittsburgh in the finals again. Dan, remind our listeners how they can follow you both uh, online or over social media as well. I think I just have that. The Twitter account, I don't even know what my handle is, man. I think Dan Quinn 10 or something like that. And, uh, I yep. just do that to sort of keep track of my daughters <laughs> and follow a few, uh, <laughs> uh, things. But, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. And, uh, again, I, I appreciate you having me on. Dan, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to come back on the show. I always really appreciate your time and listening to the stories that you share. I hope you'll come back and join me again here real soon. All right. Well, thank you. And I'll, uh, I'll look to hear from you again. All right, take care, Dan. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris. Bye. That is a former NHL star and, uh, you know, caddy out on tour and a multi-time winner out on the celebrity tour, Dan Quinn. And, uh, you know, Dan, what a, what a, what an outstanding hockey player he was. And I, you know, I think he was every bit as great a golfer 
as he was a hockey player. And uh, great stories about Augusta National. Look forward to catching up with Dan again real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Debbie O'Connell, I want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean uh, for making Next on the Tee. And our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcast on their website and on their mobile app as well. You can see us featured there on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows it means a great deal to us. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it uh, via the Podbean podcast app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode. It's free. Got great features that let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get the app now on Google Play or the Apple App Store so you can enjoy more of the podcasts that you love. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. Again, it's podbean.com. We'll get to my next guest, Debbie O'Connell, on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is by far one of my not only favorite guests, but also my favorite individuals, and that's Debbie O'Connell. Let me remind you about Debbie's background. She is an LPGA Class A teaching and club professional. In 2002, she was named the LPGA National Professional of the Year and the LPGA Southeast Section Professional of the Year. 2004, her high school alma mater up in Ridgewood High in New Jersey inducted her into their Athletic Hall of Fame. In 2008 and 2009, she was named a top 50 instructor by the LPGA. Then in 2010 and again in 2012, she was recognized by Golf Digest as one of the top 50 female teachers in America. She won the inaugural Nancy Lopez Golf Achievement Award in 2007. She is also a media professional, having you know been featured in Ladies Link Golf Magazine and on the LPGA site, LPGA.com. She hosted her own show, the Debbie O'Connell Radio Show, for a decade and the Par for the Course TV show. She's the founder of Golf Positive, which offers multimedia golf mm-hmm. tips and articles that are, gonna, that are gonna enhance both your golf game and your life. And like I say, every time I've had the privilege of having Debbie here with me on the show, my cheeks always hurt because she makes me smile so much during the course of her segment. Good morning, Debbie, thanks for coming back on the show. Well, good morning, Chris. I'm thrilled to be back on the show. And I'm glad when, you know, when you're smiling so much, you, you throw out your own little happy drugs. You know, serotonin, epinephrine, they all just go flying through your brain and you feel good when you smile. So I'm glad uh, glad to hear your cheeks get hurting. <laughs> I appreciate you, Debbie. <laughs> so, Debbie, I want to start with something that you've got on, on your website, again, golfpositive.com. And that's, and that's you got a live positive segment on there. And you talk about, you know, disempowering words that we say to ourselves and how we need to kind of flip the script to choosing different words, more empowering words. Talk about how we can take our negative thoughts and our negative words and make them into a positive. Well, it's such a key because your brain, Chris, will listen to what you tell it. And I would, I'd imagine everyone out there would love to have a positive, happy life and fulfill all their dreams. And if you think about it, it's virtually impossible if you have negative thoughts and negative words and negative actions in your life. And, and then say, well, but I want to have this great positive life. So that's a part of that starts with your body language. And the other part is the, the words that you choose to say. And, and the one that's been a key for all of my executives out there that, that when I do a corporate outing or a speaking engagement is the word overwhelmed. 
because so often today in today's world, and I'm finding even my high schoolers feel overwhelmed and stressed out. So instead of saying they're overwhelmed, what I teach them to say is, I'm in demand. And I have them say it like that too. With a nice deep voice, the chest goes up and you say, I'm in demand. I mean, it's amazing. If everyone who's listening could just say that, just say, I'm overwhelmed and put your head down for a moment. Feel how that feel. It doesn't even feel good. And then put your chin up, put your chest out and say, I'm in demand. It's the, the difference is incredible. And, and I noticed it when I was working on the scripts I was writing for Audible. I have a tip series on Audible. So I was writing the script at the same time I was writing my book and then working on corporate outings and programs and then teaching golf and running clinics at the same time. And then there was a few days I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I have so much going on. I feel overwhelmed. And then I decided to change that to I'm in demand. And right away, I was like, I put a smile on my face because I'm like, well, this is a good thing. If I want to grow my business, I want this action. I want to be in demand. I want people to love me, right? They want my time. They want to go have dinner with me. I want to be in demand. So changing that word and then other words, uh, especially for the golf course, when you're getting ready, you're feeling nervous or stressed, you know, it can be, no, I'm blessed. Oh, I'm so blessed to be out here. Or, or people who are, are, are busy, instead of being stressed about it, they're striving. Uh, after a bad shot, you know, you just say, all right, let me learn something. I didn't fail at that shot. I'm just going to learn something. Or let me learn something from that experience. So you never fail. Thomas Edison never failed. He found millions of ways that things didn't work, but he never failed. He just learned something. You know, so if you if you change those words, it changes your life. And to that end, Debbie, some of the things you just alluded to there, you've got a great video about what we can do when we find ourselves in a pressure situation out on the golf course. Maybe we're facing a shot over water or the last time we hit this particular club, we chunked it. How can we overcome that pressure or the fear that we have that we're carrying over from a previous shot? Well, I tell you, something I've come up with uh, is an acronym. And I wanted to come up with an acronym that people could remember, you know, but I didn't want it to, do, to sound somewhat intelligent, Chris, right? So I wanted a, a four-word acronym that could be easily remembered, but still sounds, you know, like I, I know what I'm talking about and I'm intelligent about what I'm teaching. So here's what I came up with, blab. And blab, I know maybe it's not as intelligent as I wanted it to sound, it's memorable. And, and blab is the key. So the first B in blab is body. Get in the body language of a champion. And think of a superhero. So get the chest up, get your chin up. You know, it's it's quite a bit different when you approach a golf shot and you're standing behind it with your chest up, chin up in a confident state than if you're slouched over and it just changes the chemicals in your body. So one, get that body language. So you're up. L is positive language. So language is a key. We just talked about it. So before a shot, say things like, I've got this. Let's do this. Watch this. Not oh my gosh, I got to get it over the water, you know, where you're focusing on the negatives that are out there or um, putting doubt in your mind, say, I've got this, you know, things like that. Not I, sh I have to, have to put pressure on. So you don't want to have to hit a shot. Oh, I have to make this. I have to get it in the fairway. You don't have to, but you, you want to say, watch this. Here we go. Let's do this. Positive. Go for it. Things like that. That will be a huge key for you in the language. The A is appreciation. You cannot be stressed and appreciative and thankful at the same time. The studies show it. They put people in a stressful situation and then they have them think about all the things they're thankful for and imagine the happiness in their life and be appreciative of it. The stress level just drops. So in that moment, you can all say, wow, 
You know, take a moment, look around, say, I am so fortunate to be out here. You know, when it's a, quote, pressure situation, Billie Jean King said it best, pressure is a privilege. So, wow, I'm thankful to be in this situation for this opportunity. It's an opportunity you have to succeed in a challenging situation, right? So be thankful about that. And lastly is to breathe, belly breath. When you breathe in, that belly should go out and then hold it for a couple seconds and then release it. And that will also lower stress in your body, get your muscles as relaxed as possible. So when you're approaching any kind of stressful situation in life, on a golf course, when you're coming down the stretch and you're shooting your best score ever, your heart's going to be pounding. Let it go. Your nerves, you might feel them in your body. It's okay. Don't focus on that. Focus on blab. Confident pose. Stand behind that in your pre-shot routine. Picture the shot you want. Say positive things. Appreciate being out there and in that situation and breathe. Blab. Body, language, appreciation, breathe. It'll work in, in taking control of your state in any situation. That's outstanding. Uh, Debbie, one one of your recent tweets was the phrase, strive for progress, not perfection. And I think, you know, that's, you know, so that's fantastic, particularly important in the game of golf, because what we do so often, and I'm a 12 handicap, so I usually go out, shoot 84, 85, and, and I may go out and shoot a little bit better, you know, maybe shoot 80 one day. But instead of saying, to myself, I beat my average score by four or five strokes today. That's great. I think back to the double I made on, on a hole or a putt I missed, and now I didn't break 80. I could have broken 80. I didn't, so I feel bad. Talk about how we can do a better job of celebrating the progress being made instead of beating ourselves up for not reaching perfection. Well, I, I tell you, by celebrating, your, your, it engages your brain to want to do that again. You know, like I said, your brain is listening. So if you're, if you're focused on the double bogey, if you're focused on, you know, the one missed putt or the one poor swing after the shot, that's what your brain will then remember. You know, I think it was Jack Nicholas in an interview one time I saw him and they asked about the times he came in second and they asked about a particular tournament. He said, I don't remember that. They said, ask me about my wins. I remember all those. So there's, one of the best players to ever play this game of golf who forgets the bad shot or, or they ask him about a certain shot. He goes, I don't remember that one. And it was a poor shot. So he, he eliminates those. And when you get that out of your brain pattern <laughs> right away, it, it, you'll forget it. But then if you think about and talk about the great shots, you know, the 19th hole, you hear it all the time. The around About the round, most people are talking about, oh, my gosh, then I, I hooked it into the woods, and then I went to chip out, it hit the tree, and it went backwards. And, you know, that, you know they're fun stories to tell. But then if you, if you continue to think about that and go, gosh, and I would have shot 79 if I'd only hit my tee shot in the fairway. So you have to change that thinking to what you did well and celebrate those successes. Because that's the images and the patterns you're putting in your brain. And the more it can remember the great shots and the successful shots, the next time you go out, it's going to have that confidence. Your brain will have that confidence. You'll have that confidence that you can go out and make progress and shoot an even better score, but with good memories. So what you want to put more energy. One of, the, one of my favorite stories, and I think I might have told it on the show, was with a friend of mine who we were playing in the national championship. She had this downhill, I mean major, downhill lie, a shot that was uh, uphill to the green and over a creek. 
Well, she pulled off this shot. And after she did it, Chris, she went, woo! And she's patting, literally patting herself on the back, going, oh, my God, that was awesome. And she's like, woo! Also, I couldn't even get in. Hey, great shot, Lee. I couldn't even say it because she was busy celebrating. I thought that was the greatest thing and a great lesson for me to celebrate those. You know, so many times in, in our society, like you have to be humble or, you know, uh, like a kid can get excited, but an adult for some reason can't celebrate your successes. There's a chapter in my book about that when I teach about putting and how we complete each hole to celebrate and celebrate in life in small term, short term goals and celebrate every time you accomplish something. And after a round of golf, there will be shots to celebrate. And if you celebrate those, you'll imprint them more in your brain and you'll play better and continue to make progress. Debbie, another thing that many of us struggle with is inconsistency in our swing, causing us, you know, spray it right one time, then we may overcorrect and pull hook, you know, the next time. Talk about how we can become more consistent with improving our takeaway and our backswing. Awesome. I, I think part of the consistency as well is fundamentals. Take some time to check them. Even if you've been playing for years and you're a 12 handicap or a single digit handicap, at home, get in the mirror, get in your golf setup, and then take a look at it. Is Is your back nice and straight or are you arched or are you rounded you know a simple thing like that will affect your backswing you know check your grip occasionally and what's your grip pressure uh ball position have have someone look at it or take some video and just really review that that fundamentals are such a key to success and arnold palmer said it best when he was asked what would you teach your grandchildren if they wanted to get into the golf he said i tell them to focus on the fundamentals and everything else will come and and you see many tour players. That's what they'll tweak on the driving range before a round, something small in their setup. So double check that for one. Two, make sure you have a pre-shot routine. To, I have so many students who want to be more consistent, and that's a big request I get so often. But they don't have a – and I say, well, do you have a pre-shot routine? Yeah, I do it sometimes. Well, to be consistent, you have to do – make your process consistent. Do the same thing for each and every shot. Because then, you know, it affects your brain right there. It gets into something that's familiar. And then you get in your same rhythm. We're very rhythmic beings. We want to get into that rhythm each and every time. So those two things will will help you right off the bat. The backswing, I just put a video on YouTube. I don't know if you saw it, Chris. It was me in my bathroom, fully dressed, fully dressed. So just, you know. Um, (laughs) But I'm in the bathroom, and I take a hand towel, and I put it under my arm and hold the hand towel and practice the shoulder turn. I think the major key to a consistent backswing is to be connected and one piece. You want your big muscles to start the club back. You want to turn with your upper back and shoulders. Don't let your arms just lift the club or pull the club back because then they're on their own. And your arms can really go anywhere. I think that's um, that's probably the most important thing for consistency is that one piece takeaway. You can practice at home with a towel under your arm. And then when you're on the course, uh, or on the driving range, I like to put, you know, some line up to one golf ball and put another one like six inches behind it on the target line and practice just kind of drag the club back and hit the ball behind it and make it move with your shoulder turn, not your arms. And I think those two things will be really key. Tension level is another thing. Just you know, that breath, like in Blab, taking that breath beforehand. Mindset and focus. I mean, besides the backswing mindset and focus before the shot if you're over the ball and all of a sudden you doubt what club you have in your hand and you don't start your pre-shot routine over very difficult to hit a good shot 
to come up with a good shot. So make sure that pre-shot routine, mentally, you get that focus going as well. And Debbie, you know, one of our regular guests on the football side on our show Thursday night tailgate is uh, former uh, New England Patriots running back Tony Collins. And Tony always says, what you think about most will come to you, either positive or negative, which sounds very similar to something that I've seen you post not all that long ago. I saw you post not all that long ago. You get what you focus on in life. And so often, you know, I hear people talk about, you know, you know, they're negative thinkers, right? You know, this always happens. This, you know, this thing, I always find myself in this situation. Bad things always seem to happen, you know, on a regular basis to me. Talk about how what we focus on in life seems to manage its way into our lives. We create it. We create our lives. We create our realities. I had a, uh, or I have a sister-in-law who at one time, and she doesn't do it anymore, and I, I think it's because of my response to it, but she would always say, oh, with my luck, I hit traffic on the way to the airport. With my luck, my flight was late. Oh, everything negative that would happen. Oh, with my luck. So you're just programming that you're unlucky, even though she has a very great life. She has a wonderful life. Everything in her life is really pretty positive. I think she's very fortunate. But she would always say, oh, with my luck. Or, you know, she hits a red light. She goes, oh, see, with my luck, I always get this red light. And and just focus on that. And so I started to say anything that happened to me, I'd say, with my luck, I got a green light. When I ever, whenever I go by that intersection. With my luck, I never hit traffic on Route 17. With my luck, my flight was early. So anytime good things happen to me, I would, I would reiterate with my luck. And now I just do it all the time. And I think it kind of drove her crazy. So she doesn't do the with my luck negative anymore. So, but now I continue <laughs> to do anything positive. I say, huh, with my luck, see what happened. But then it, it can be where you focus with each thing. When, when I'm in traffic sometimes, and I have to stay on that that road because there's no other way to get around it. I'll do something positive. I may listen to a positive book on tape, or I may uh, make some business calls that I need to make that day. But since I'm sitting in traffic, so I'll get something done and make the most out of the situation. I, I was just chatting with a friend of mine about a trip in the airport she made, and she was getting so frustrated that the flight was delayed, the flight was delayed, the flight was delayed. And uh, we were traveling together, and she said to me, she goes, oh, could it get any worse? And I said, yeah, it could. Someone could walk in here with a bomb strapped to them and blow up the place. So, you know, kind of with our luck, we're going to be safe, and we're going to get home safely. So you could focus on the delay, or you could focus on the end result is you're going to get to your destination. And we were fortunate. Everything went fine, and we got home safely. You know, so you can be appreciative of those things, or you can focus on the little challenges in the way. And just like in golf, one of the chapters in my book is about the pitch shot, and we talk about going over obstacles. And and I go through the techniques of going over the obstacle, and then I, part of that is the focus on where you want the ball to land. Focus on the outcome beforehand. So you want to plan the shot exactly the way you want it, and once you recognize the obstacle, you figure out your plan, and then you're not going to focus on the obstacle anymore. The rest is the focus on the target. So you get what you focus on. You want that ball to go to the target, you focus on the target. And we talk about getting over obstacles in life and how our focus is a big part of that. Debbie, just a couple of more before we let you go. But you've been around the LPGA for several years now. What are what are some of your favorite stories to share when you're sitting around, you know, with a group of friends or you're speaking at a corporate event and you're talking to some of the, the folks there? What are a couple of your favorite stories? 
I think probably with the LPGA teachers, a big part of our stories become our students and the success stories. Sometimes the students who have had the most challenges, but that, that we've helped. Or some of the reasons, you know, part of our teaching is ask them, why are you here? What are your goals? Why do you want a lesson? One of my students one time said, well, I'm trying to save my marriage. You know, and, uh, you know, so I was like, wow, this is a big responsibility on my part. <laughs> I've got to get you <laughs> not only to enjoy this process, but then to really get good enough to play golf with your husband and save your marriage. Uh, so we chat about different challenges. We'll talk about the kids and the things that these kids will say and do and, and how much fun it is when they get so excited about the littlest thing. You know, we'll have them toss the ball into a bucket and they'll, you know, you think they they just got a trip to Disney World. You know, the the little things with these kids and how much they appreciate that. So as far as us teachers, we'll talk a lot about our students and the stories that they share and and some of the moments we have that are, you know, even a little more emotional, people that open up and share some of their emotional obstacles that are affecting their golf, but they're very personal stories. And not that we share the story, but we share a, a meaningful moment that happened on the lesson tee. So that's what we'll chat about that. And then, you know, of course, things going on in the industry. A big conversation I'm having right now with a lot of people is the U.S. players and the, the Solheim Cup that's coming up. And I'm sure you, you went on my site, you saw that I'm running a trip to the Solheim Cup. And uh, so I've been watching that closely. So we're talking about that with the U.S. players and who's in the top 10 and who's out. Like Michelle Wee's not in there right now. You know, the top 10 are automatically picked and there's two captain's picks. Uh, we're heading to Des Moines, Iowa. We're doing a little golf positive match play event. So it's the golf positive cup. We're, uh, we're going to have just an awesome trip. I turned 50 when I'm out there. So we have a big birthday party plan, um, for my trip on the Solheim cup. So that's been this year as the players are we're looking for their points. That's a big part of our conversation is, is who's going to be playing and, um, all the excitement that surrounds the Solheim Cup. And Debbie, you talk about, you know, emotional. You're such a wonderful teacher of the game. You're a great speaker. What's the, what's the nicest thing anyone has ever said to you following a lesson or an event that uh, that you've been a part of that, you know, that has stuck with you, that touched you? Well, one that um, got me really emotional, I, I gave a speech at, it was actually the PGA Senior Tour Championship, and they had an executive women's day, and uh, basically gave them all I had with energy and music and, and teaching uh, a lot of the emotional, mental stuff of making your life the best it can be and taking charge of your state, the power pose, and, and went through all that, and at the end, um, I asked if anybody had questions, and one lady stood up and she said, she said, oh, my gosh, Debbie, you gave us so much today. I want to know what can we do for you. And that was just really neat because she felt like, you know, she knew I gave it all I had in, in my preparation, in my presentation, in my research, in my studies, and I wanted to make a difference in their in their lives. And that was – I actually got emotional when she asked that because it said to me what I shared was meaningful and my answer to her was, use what I taught you and teach it to others because it was about living a happier life and it was about taking charge of your state and then making a difference in the world. Because, Chris, when we are each at our best, we lift the people around us 
every moment of every day, when we have a more positive reaction to something, when we have a smile, just think of a smile alone. Like we talked about the first thing on the show today. When you smile at someone else, they usually smile back. And not only did you send off your neurotransmitters and chemicals in your brain, which is a little happy drug that goes through and you'll you'll feel happier, you also made that person happier. So, so often when, when I'm out and, you know, we all come across some people who aren't having a great day. I never get upset about that person. My goal is always to change their state. You know, I'll bet with my friends, hey, I'll bet you I can make that person smile before you can. Instead of getting upset that the the waitress or waiter, you know, the server is is not smiling or not being very friendly. Well, let's try to change that state. So when we're at our best and we're looking at life in a positive way, you're going to lift everyone around you and make a difference in their life. And one that's one of my chapters in the book, too. It's called Impact. And it's about the impact in the golf game and the golf swing. We have some drills for that. And then we talk the impact you make on life. And when you're making a positive impact, you can you can feel great about yourself, and uh, you're making a difference in the world. That's beautiful. You know, not long ago, I featured Debbie in uh, in my blog series. Uh, you know, there's greatness, you know, all around us. If you go to our site, nextonthetea.net, and click on the spotlight on the positive link, you can read my blog about Debbie and and several other other wonderful people doing so many wonderful things, making a positive impact on the world. I mentioned that. Because, Debbie, I think you're not only a wonderful guest, but you're a tremendous person. And I can't thank you enough for continuing to join me here and being a part of the show. Oh, my gosh, Chris, I can't tell you how much I enjoy being with you and, and, and your work you're doing. You're a phenomenal host. You ask amazing questions, and you keep spreading spreading the good word. And I hope you'll have me back on when my book is actually out and, uh, and ready. It'll be on Amazon probably in a couple months. So I'd love to come back and share that, and we can talk a little bit more about what's in there. That would be really fun for me to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you got a place here anytime, you know, you're, you're ready to come back. And Debbie, remind our listeners how they can, you know, get information about your Solheim trip, you know, get on your website and then uh, follow you over social media as well. Absolutely. Well, it's golfpositive.com is my website and that has all the information about the Solheim Cup trip. I have 20 spots left. And, uh, and, and it's, it's going to be a phenomenal week. It, it includes like a casino, the Iowa State Fair, my birthday party. It'll be a blast. First thing I did with my birthday party, Chris, is hire the DJ once I had the party place. So, so we're going to have a great time there, but that's golfpositive.com. And then, uh, on Twitter, I'm at golfpositive. Facebook is, uh, golf, Debbie O'Connell or then golfpositive is, uh, my business page. And uh, and all the other Instagram I'm on Snapchat I, I'm not as active on Snapchat because I need I need like a 14 year old to help me a little bit better with that but everything <laughs> is really through God positive uh, but I'm learning see we got to keep learning and growing right make progress <laughs> absolutely Debbie thank you for continuing to make my cheeks hurt so much from smiling you're always a joy to have as uh, as part of the show I look forward to your book coming out and then uh, getting you back on the show to talk more about that and so much more. Thank you for being here today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Chris. Have an awesome day. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, Debbie. That is uh, Debbie O'Connell again. You know, what a wonderful individual Debbie is. Golfpositive.com is her site. Follow her on Twitter at Golf Positive. And, uh, yeah, look, can't wait for that book to come out and then get Debbie to come back and share more of the things that she's got lined up to talk about in there. And then, uh, you know, like I say, every time Debbie is a part of the show, you know, the positive energy, the things that, you know, she helps us get our minds, you know, 
and more in line, you know, get the, you know, more positive juices flowing and all of those sorts of things. And, and you know, folks, it, you know, when we get out on the golf course, too often we give ourselves the negative, you know, the, the negative self-talk. And uh, we really got to flip that, you know, flip that switch for ourselves, right? We're out there on the golf course. It's beautiful out there, right? How much better can it be? Yeah, you hit a, a, a bad golf shot here or there. We all do. But, you, you know, as, as she said, you learn from that, right? Let's teach ourselves, learn from that shot. What did I do wrong? And we'll correct that going forward. In the meantime, isn't it beautiful out here? So fantastic stuff with Debbie O'Connell. Can't wait to get her back on the show. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. But before we do, let's hear a word from our great friends, Jim Estes and the folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association and about the Orange Whip Trainer as well. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Why does every golfer need an orange whip trainer? Because it works. Feel what it's like to swing like the pros. The Orange Whip is used by over 300 PGA, LPGA, and Champions Tour players. It was voted the number one teaching and training aid by both PGA.com and the Golf Range Association of America. And it's the top swing trainer of PGA and LPGA members. It's also handcrafted in the USA with all American parts. Visit OrangeWhipTrainer.com to learn more. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to uh, Dan Quinn and uh, Debbie O'Connell for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did being a part of it. Thank you so much for listening. Please give me your thoughts. Check us out uh, on our Facebook page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback. Plus, if you have a question for one of our future guests, let me know, and I'll get it on the show for you. You can go to our website, nextonthetee.net, to see you know our upcoming schedule and who we've got coming on. So if you got a question, please let me know. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio as well as on the Armed Forces Radio Network as well. That show like this one also available as a free podcast on Podbean and iHeartRadio. Over on the football side on Thursday Night Tailgate, every week we're joined by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days and insights into today's game as well. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find both shows online. This show, nextonthetee.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. Like I say, you can stream or download any of our archived episodes for free. Keep up to date with who some of our future guests are going to be on both those sites. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this show today. We know you got thousands of shows and podcasts out there to, to listen to. We really appreciate that you're making Next on the Tee one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. 
We're PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors. And media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love. From the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.